Well, that was fun to get that Rich Mullins throwback there at the end. That's one of the things I do at, at Lent is I, uh, I pull out the Rich Mullins and the Keith Green. They've got some, some great stuff. Well, speaking of Lent, last week we hosted an Ash Wednesday service at the community center. Ash Wednesday, it's, it's kind of like um, this Old Testament uh, day of atonement that they used to have, except it's through a Jesus lens. And on Ash Wednesday, like they did with the day of atonement, people hit pause. We hit pause on everything else. And we, we pray, we fast, we lament, we intercede for this broken world. And in the midst of all the heaviness that we've all been feeling with the, the crazy stuff that's happening in our world and then with the heaviness that's a part of Ash Wednesday, in the midst of, of the solemn and somber service, there was a lot to celebrate that night. There really was. And one of my highlights was when we got towards the end, we were saying the Lord's Prayer together. And off to your right, my left, I could hear this voice of this kid rising above all the rest of the crowd when, when, when we did the Lord's Prayer you know, in a world where so few things unite us anymore, so few things, it was so encouraging to hear a voice about two generations, you know, behind mine, praying a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. When I officiate a wedding or I officiate a funeral, one of the moments that's often filled with so much meaning is when I'll start the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and then all these voices will continue it. Voices from different states, from different generations, from different denominations, from different churches, all unite their voices as one as they continue that prayer. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, I would do my best to try to get people to believe that the Lord's Prayer is one of those traditions that's just old and outdated something that we should just leave behind. I get churches to focus exclusively on the kind of relevance that is only relevant to a specific group of people at a specific time and place, rather than the kind of relevance that transcends and unites people across generations and across nations and denominations and races and generations and all of that. Well, last week, we launched this Lent series, and we challenged one another to press deeper so that's what we're going to do today. And how much do you know about the, the context of the Lord's Prayer? This is a prayer that, that so many people have been saying for so many years. Have we ever stopped to really look at the context in which it was given? So let's just say right now this is a freshman, uh, high school freshman Bible course at a Christian high school. And you've got these two questions on your quiz. Question number one, where do we find the source material for the Lord's Prayer in the Bible. So I won't call on you, but imagine right now if I was going to be calling on one of you, what would you think about your answer? Where do you find the source material? All right, if I were to call on you, one of the books of the Bible, you find it in, it's Matthew. Anyone know the other one? It's the one we're studying right now. Luke, very good. Matthew and Luke, that's where you find the Lord's Prayer. All right, let's say I followed up that question with this next question, and I was ready to call on you, so get ready for your response here. Just... Just thinking, what are the unique contexts for each of those Lord Prayer references? So I won't call on you, but if I were going to, you had to come up with an answer. What was the unique context of Matthew and the Lord's Prayer? What was the unique context in Luke? Well, I'll give you the answers here. The, the, the context for the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is a section of Matthew that we call the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus, at this time, he was drawing these huge crowds. They were so big that he got up literally on this mountain, this big hillside. He sat down and people came to him and there were just people everywhere. And so this is the context of that first Lord prayer, the Lord's Prayer. The, the, the first one we have here in Matthew. He challenged people as part of this, this Sermon on the Mount. He challenged their existing narratives. Blessed are the meek, he said. And he said, blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are the pure in heart and the peacemakers. Implying that, Jesus has a very different perspective on power than many of us. You are the light of the world, he said. You're the salt of the earth. Implying that we've got something of great value to share with others. And a lot of what Jesus taught on that mountain was taught in a comparative kind of way. One of the things you hear, a phrase repeated in that Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I tell you. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew is embedded in that context. He says, when you pray, don't be like those virtue signalers who are really what they're doing when they're praying. They're seeking the approval of others. They want others to see what they're doing. And he said, don't be like that. He also said, don't just string together a bunch of empty words. Don't do that. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And that's how Matthew introduces the Lord's Prayer. That's the context for it. Now, let's take a look, as we're going through Luke, let's take a look at the source material for the Lord's Prayer as it appears in Luke. If you have a Bible with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to um, go and uh, get one. You can get one right now. Go to Bible.com and download their free app. It's uh, really good. All right, here we go. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. All right, so this is the context here for Luke, and it's a very different context than Matthew. In Matthew, big crowd, Jesus speaking to all of them. The context there was, was in contrast to the way other people are praying. This is different. This one now, it's a small group. In fact, it's Jesus' inner circle of inner circles here, this small inner circle, and they're saying, hey, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? Well, before we go any further, I, we just, I want to just call this out on what's happening. This is Jesus, the Jesus, teaching us how to pray. I can forget that really easy. So wouldn't we all like to pray more like Jesus? He's going to teach us how to pray. So just wanted to hit pause and say that. All right, well, before you go any further, also, I invite you to write this down. Do you want increasingly more of what Christ had? Do you want more of what he had? That's what his disciples want. They saw him praying. They said, we want to be more like him. Okay, teach us how to pray. So let's learn from this. Let's, let's actually dive into this. All right, because I think all of us, we could use advice from Jesus. But how does a disciple pray? All right, let's see what he says. Let's continue on. Verses 2 through 4. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forget everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, it would be tempting, very tempting, to just stop right there and go, Okay, we got the Lord's Prayer. Now let's break it down, because if you've ever heard teaching on that, we've done it before at this church, I'm sure we'll do it again. You break that prayer down, it is so good. 
If you pray that prayer, it helps keep you aligned with God-honoring prayers. But that's not what Jesus does right here. And in light of this series, let's see what Jesus does with this. So he gave it to them, but he doesn't stop and go, now let me tell you what each of those things means. Jesus keeps going. So if you have your Bible open, take a look at this too. Just look, this is part of, they call it a pericope, a complete thought in the Bible. It doesn't end until verse 13. So everything we're going to be reading here now, that is part of this complete thought that Jesus is giving around prayer when they said, teach us to pray. So the Lord's Prayer, we call the Lord's Prayer, it's just part of it. So let's go through verse 12, all the way through verse 12 here. Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend? Or which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up and give you anything because he's your friend, yet because of his impudence, remember that word. This is going to come back as key impudence. He will rise up and give him whatever he needs. And I will tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? All right. Let's try to make some sense out of this. How, how can what we just read here be more helpful than taking the awesome prayer, that Lord's Prayer, and breaking that down? Why would Jesus do this? Why would he say all this stuff about scorpions and, and eggs and doors being shut? You know, is, is the point here that God is like a sleepy friend who you shouldn't bother, but if you bother him enough, he'll help you out. You know, what is going on? Well, I, I really like what N.T. Wright has to say about this. He says, Jesus is focusing on one point of comparison only. He's encouraging a kind of holy boldness, a sharp knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's what prayer should be like. There's a battle on, a fight with the powers of darkness. Those who have glimpsed the light are called to struggle in prayer for peace, for reconciliation, for wisdom. All right, so this is where Jesus takes his teaching. He gives us this incredible framework for prayer, but he doesn't stop there. And then he gives us these two illustrations. He gives us one illustration where this person's breaking all kinds of conventional protocols, and then this other illustration about what good fathers do. And then, and then, Jesus says something that is only captured here in Luke. This is the only place I could find this in all the, the Gospels. Verse 13, this is how this pericope ends, this complete thought. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give who? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. All right, anybody remember where all this started? Started with them asking a question. All right, teach us to pray. A request. That was how it all started. Where did it end? It ended with saying, you should ask for the Holy Spirit. Everything builds up to that. Teach us to pray, okay? Ask for the Holy Spirit. That's where Jesus takes this thought, 12, vision, 12 verses, verses later. Ask and ask and ask and ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So if we're going to unpack anything here together, let's unpack that. Let's do that. And I invite you to write this down. Jesus invites us to ask the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit with an apparent impudence. Jesus invites us to ask the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit with an apparent impudence. I really, 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 really like what the ESV does with this text, especially verse 8. And here's why. The ESV uses a word that I rarely, in fact, I don't know if I've ever heard someone use impudence in a sentence before. It even feels weird to say it. It's an uncommon word. It's an uncommon word that means you're not showing the respect that you should show in this situation. So impudence, it's you or I calling up the White House saying, hey, I want to go to spring break in Florida, so I want, I want to book the Air Force One instead of calling Delta. That's impudence. Right? Impudence is you, you, you get seats at the best orchestra in the world, and you bring a folding chair. And you bring that folding chair, and just as they're about to start, you set that folding chair right up to the first chair violin. And you sit down, and you pull out your fiddle. That's impudence. Impudence is when you go to Wimbledon and you step out of the stands in the finals and you go down to center court and you go, I got next. That's impudence. And I love that they chose that word because it's a word that we don't use now and they did that because they're translating a word that they didn't use much then. That means the same thing. That was really well done. They're translating a word that occurs here in Luke, but you cannot find it anywhere else in the entire Bible. It is that rare of a word. But it's a word that means, as they put it together from these other ancient sources, a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. To what is proper. And remember, it was used in that whole narrative, this long narrative of this person needs bread, and so they go to their neighbor, and they're like, I'm sorry, I, I need this bread here. And, and it just seemed like such an impudent ask. And he's linking this to the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit seems to have all the characteristics of an impudent ask in that time and in that place. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit it was understood to be rare. This was something that only really happened in specific moments, specific people, generally the spiritual elite. And then there's Jesus in a teaching about prayer, providing an analogy of a neighbor making an impudent ask of his neighbor, saying, hey, I know it's really late, and I'm so sorry to bother you, but I really need your help here. And then that's followed up by that story of a good father saying, hey, this isn't a bother at all. I love to give good gifts. And the Holy Spirit's a really good gift. On Ash Wednesday, we read this passage from the prophet Joel. It's Joel 1.14. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land to the house of of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So we did that on Ash Wednesday. Well, on Pentecost Sunday in the book of Acts, the sequel to Luke, Luke records a day when the promise of this 
prophecy came to pass. This one's in Joel too. Next chapter, chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass that I will pour out, what does it say? I'll pour out my spirit on the spiritual elite. What does it say? On all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Well, when this day came, this happened. There's a place right this in your notes too. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it unlocked new levels for the disciples. Can I get an amen to that? It was such a change. If you use a search engine like BibleGateway.com, you type the word spirit in there, and then you use the filters Luke and Acts, here is a sampling of what you'll find. Here's some references in the Holy Spirit to Luke and Acts. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. John the Baptist spoke of one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was involved with the conception of the Christ. The Holy Spirit fuels prophecy. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to things others can't see and reveals things that we wouldn't otherwise know. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove at his baptism. The Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit empowers. The whole, Jesus and Spirit experience joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit can give us the right words in crucial moments. Jesus can command through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the, foretold the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit empowers people to be his witnesses. Speaking in tongues is closely associated with the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days was foretold. The Holy Spirit can comfort us. We can blaspheme the Holy Spirit and lie to the Holy Spirit and test the Holy Spirit and resist the Holy Spirit. We can be filled, the word says with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can be poured out on a group. As I was looking at what different scholars had to say about all this, it was really interesting. There were people in the first century, so right around the time of Jesus, they believed, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was from the past age. That was from what we now call the Old Testament. It's really interesting. People today say, the Holy Spirit, what we see in the book of Acts, that was from then. It's not for today. Well, when we close our time together this morning, we're going to close with a song that contains these lyrics. What you spoke is now unfolding, and all your children will behold it. Dreams awaken in this moment. Spirit come. Spirit come. When I was a teen, I'm so thankful, so thankful that I had a youth director in my life. He challenged us to read the scriptures, and I'm so thankful for that, but he didn't stop there. He invited us to come to these things called camps and retreats that I'd never even heard of before, but I'm so glad he didn't stop there. He brought us to the city and opened our eyes to so many needs that were just tangible all around us that we hadn't been exposed to. He brought us to Mexico where it took it to a whole nother level. I'm so glad he didn't stop there. All those things were vital. The scriptures, tangible needs around us, community, these are essential. And the Holy Spirit unlocked whole new levels of understanding to all of those things, all those things. Starting just with worship, there was a change that happened inside. 
You know, there's still to this day, some of these times, when they start talking about Jesus returning and devil being defeated, there's something that happens inside that never happened before. But there are things, and I've told stories before, so many times with our church and on all these events and things like that, of things that I could not have known had it not been for the Holy Spirit, of miracles that defy any kind of explanation, of visions, of dreams. And rather than going back in time and bringing up one of those, let me give you one from today. Just today, this morning. In fact, right when I was about to leave the house, I saw my phone ring and it was my friend Steve. And so I picked up and he was calling to really celebrate a Holy Spirit moment. Steve's the chair of FCA in Minnesota, uh, of the board. FCA is Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And a while back, uh, Steve felt prompted to call me up and take me to breakfast to catch up, but also he wanted to tell me about this need that they had on their board. He felt our board is not complete. We have this very specific need for a very specific kind of person. And he went on to describe this specific person, specific skill set, and he said, it would be so helpful if this person could come also from the perspective of a woman. If we could get this person, it, it would really be so helpful. He's like, do you know anybody like this? I'm like... I don't, but I tell you what, I'll, I'll pray about it. And I meant it, and I, and I prayed about it. Well, not too long later, in that room right out there in that lobby, um, we were here for one of those connect, Compassion Connect organizational meetings, and it was, it was Shelly. It was Shelly. I'd never met her before, but, you know, she was from Salem, and so I'm like, oh, I should probably get to know this, this person. So we're talking, and I said, well, tell me about you. And she, she says, hey, I've got this you know, position at Salem, and I just love it, but my real passion is sports. And she goes on to describe her deep passions. And in my head, I'm like, check, 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 check. All those things that Steve had said he was looking for, I'm like, sure sounds a lot like her. And so I said, hey, told her about the conversation I just had with Steve. And she says, interesting, <laughs> you should say that. Because I had just been praying, Lord, I've got this passion for sports and all of these things that I would love to put to use. So Steve was calling me to close the loop to say, all of that, the Holy Spirit wove together. She's now going to be a part of our board. It's just fun. That kind of stuff is so fun. These things that the Holy Spirit knows and, and can weave together. What God spoke is now unfolding all around the world. And if you would like increasingly more of what you can experience with God, what the Holy Spirit could unlock for you. Before we close, here are three things, three things that I've learned along the way really quickly about the Holy Spirit. This is hard-won wisdom here, mostly all the hard, the hard way, learning the hard way, right? So number one is keep your eyes on the giver. Keep your eyes on the giver. It is so easy to get focused on the, what they call the spiritual gifts, that we can lose sight of the giver. Can I get an amen on that one? I've seen that so many times, so many times. If you want to see and experience the gifts, the real ones, the real ones, not the stuff that people exaggerate, not the stuff people do for show, because there's a whole lot of both of those things. If you want to experience the real gifts because they are operative today, pursue the giver with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength instead of the gifts. And also, I want to say this too, the other thing that happens, if you focus too much on the gifts, 
You can miss what's called the fruit of the Spirit, and we need so much of that in our world today. Because, amen, because it's peace. I don't know anybody that couldn't use more peace right now. It's peace, it's patience, it's self-control, it's joy. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. So good. All right, so if you want to keep growing in this, if you want the Holy Spirit to really be part, focus on the giver, not the gifts. And then this one, anchor to Scripture. Anchor to Scripture, because one of the things that will do, it'll keep you out of foolish arguments where you're just wasting your time arguing instead of experiencing the Holy Spirit. A lot of people waste a lot of time arguing over, well, when does one receive the Holy Spirit? And there's those who are like, do you receive it at a water baptism? Do you receive it at the moment of conversion? At a separate moment when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit? When a spirit-filled person lays their hands on you, people, they argue about this. Well, in the scripture, you have multiple precedents. You have multiple precedents. I can show you the scripture. We put them there. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Look this up. We just looked at one of them. Those who ask, right? Ask. There's also in Acts 5.32, those who obey God. Acts 2.38, those who repent and are baptized. Acts 8.17, those who repent are baptized and have someone pray and lay hands on them. Acts 10, 44 through 47, people were just listening to Peter. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't any laying on hands and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And it says in Luke 1.15, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from the womb. So when do we receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right? That's when you're... There, there are also these... This is the other thing, too. There's all kinds of arguments, too, around who receives what gift. So many arguments. One of the things that drew our family to this denominational part of the covenant was this beautiful phrase, where is it written? I love that. What do I believe about when someone gets the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's... I just say, where is it written? Let's go to the scripture together. All of it. Not one or two verses here and there. All of it. All of it. So keep your eyes on scripture. Focus on scripture. Anchor to scripture. All right, the last one of the hard-won wisdoms here, if you're going to pursue this Holy Spirit, which you should, is this. Keep asking, seeking, and knocking. That whole thing we read earlier that Jesus was saying, where he's like, ask, seek, and knock, in context, if I'm understanding my linguists correctly, when Jesus invited his disciples to ask, seek, and knock, he used something called present imperatives. Evidently, that's a thing. Do we have any English people in here? Some? All right. Present imperatives. In other words, he taught his disciples to keep asking, seeking, and knocking. And I'll tell you what, just today, I would be happy. I would be happy. I'd be overjoyed to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And what I'll also do is continue to encourage you to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking in any given moment to say, God, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me with what I need in this moment, what I need now. After Jesus came and rose again, his followers didn't see the Day of Atonement, that one we were talking about earlier, the same way. Because in addition to being a day of prayer and fasting and repentance, the Day of Atonement, it had been a day of sacrifice. Well, once Jesus came 
and, and rose again, people realize, oh, there's been one sacrifice once for all. That was Jesus. So that's why Ash Wednesday, we don't just focus, a day of atone, focus on the Day of Atonement. We have this new thing, Ash Wednesday. Well, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, the disciples no longer saw the Holy Spirit the same way either, that it was only for the spiritual elite. It was only for individual people at a certain time for a certain thing. They realize now, in light of that Pentecost experience, the Holy Spirit is for all believers, all believers, all the time. And this world is in desperate need of things that the Holy Spirit can empower you and you and you and all of us to do. We need the Holy Spirit. So let's ask our Father for this good gift. I mentioned earlier, we're gonna do that with a great song. These lyrics are so rich, so rich. And if I may be so bold, I'd like to add one addition to the song. You don't have to do this, but when you get to the part of the song where it says this, where it says, pour it out, let your love run over, here and now, let your glory fill this house. When you get to this part of the song, you could make it even more impudent. Where it says, pour it out, I'm not sure what they mean by it there. I don't know if they're talking about God's love or what, but I don't think they're talking about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit is a what? It's a he. So when I say this is more impudent, this is not, God, give me something. When we're praying this, pour him out, we're saying, God, send the third person of the Trinity into my life. God the Spirit, come into this broken vessel. How crazy is that? That's what we're asking. Make me a temple. It was the language they started to use. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Think how amazing that is, that request. And what did Jesus say? These are the words of Jesus. He said, that's a good gift that your Father wants to give you. So ask it. Because we can ask a good Father for things that are impudent to ask others, right? So let's do that right now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to use this song to ask a spirit to come right here, right now. Let's do it. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you are such a good father and that you gave us this, this passage here where you wove together so many things about prayer and about these bold asks, and then you anchor it to the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've done all the work, including making it possible for our broken lives to be made holy so that your Holy Spirit could come. So Lord, we pray that you would empower us now to make this beautifully bold ask that your Spirit would fall on us. In Jesus' name, amen.